You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Time since I've seen you guys. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Ken. I'm your minister. And uh, it's great to see you. Let me get my stuff out here. All right. It's, uh, it's been great being together. I, I feel like I'm still going through... The holidays and uh, working off all the stuff that I ate for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. Um, and then I was working out and I got sick. And then I you know, haven't lost the weight I, I wanted to. And all my pants got promoted. They all became skinny jeans. So, But we got a lot of stuff going on. I know there's a lot of uh, parties going on uh, this afternoon for the Super Bowl. Uh, I was wearing my 49ers shirt and then Francis came in and said so she felt sorry for me. She just, like, out of the blue, like, just said so she felt sorry for me until I point out the, my five fingers. And those are the five Super Bowl rings that the 49ers have. So, anyways, and then she said, oh, I didn't know that. I said, yes, yes, five Super Bowl rings. Not recently, though. It's been pretty, you're right, it's been a little bit depressing. But uh, Super Bowl 50 is today, and it's in my uh, hometown of San Francisco. Mark and I was going to do a little road trip, but uh, life is busy. I mean, we weren't going to see the game or anything. We were just going to hang around and loiter around the stadium a little bit. And, uh, you know, hopefully get on ESPN. But we didn't make it, Mark, next year. I don't know where it is, but let's shoot for it. Let's shoot for it. And then, if you don't know, uh, tomorrow is Chinese New Year. So all of our Asian brothers out there, it is uh, Chinese New Year. And I think it's the year of the monkey, right? So if you were born this year, whether you knew it or not, this is the year of the monkey. And in the Chinese zodiac, there are certain attributes that comes with uh, being born in a certain year. Uh, I was born in 1966, and I traveled a lot, so my mom always makes fun of me. I was born in the year of the horse, and she goes, that's why you travel so much, Ken. You're always galloping around all over the place. So it's a Chinese thing. I threw it out there. But uh, we're here to celebrate really Black History Month. Um, I've been really fascinated uh, with Black History Month and just really studying it out. Um, You know, just really understanding our history. Black history is American history. And getting a chance to talk to so many people in here uh, about that. And I'm looking forward to just a continual month of learning about black history, uh, we had, you know, breakfast with Patricia Dawn a couple weeks ago, and uh, she is the guru of black history. I mean, she knows all this stuff. It's pretty amazing. So I've become on my own just, uh, oh, and during our conversation, we had lunch, breakfast together, and we were talking about stuff, and I knew this gentleman was kind of eavesdropping, and he was sitting there, and he, he uh, eavesdropped, and we shared, Lena and I shared with her, uh, him afterwards, and he says, I heard what you guys said, and my mind said, I know. But anyways, uh, but he said he really appreciated our conversation. He really appreciated us bringing things up and talking about it. And he wants to, he's going to talk to his wife, gave us his number. He says he never does that, but he gave us his number. He says he's going to make it out in the next couple of weeks here. But so black history, I, I've really dug in, got a lot of books, did some really theological, historical study uh, on black history and I, I found some great stuff that is really deep, and I want to share it with you at this time. It's a blackish. <laughs> it 
really neat stuff, man. I dug into the archives here. Uh, but I can, actually, I have watched a couple of episodes. I love it. It's awesome. And uh, it, how many of you guys watch it on a regular basis? It's pretty cool. Have you seen the one where his son, their son becomes a Republican? So I'm going to show it to you, okay? I mean, this is a little diversion there. I thought about it. This is kind of cool, since we're in political season, too. So we're going to watch this episode, one little clip about uh, their son becoming a Republican and how they're dealing with it, okay? All right, go for it. Hey, what are you doing? Uh, Bo, we have a problem. Junior is a Republican. Well, that's okay. So he wants to shop at Banana Republic. They have a crazy generous return policy. No, no, no. You're not getting it. All right? He's a Republican. A notary public? That's a noble profession. Will save us tons of time. Bo! Hmm. A Republican! A member of the Irish Republican Army? What the? Okay, okay. So if you got to take down a couple of fish and chip shops to be free of British rule, Dre, you got to do what you got to do. No. Ronald Reagan, Ann Coulter, Fox News, Tea Party, both Republican. Republican? Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. We don't do that, Dre. We are compassionate liberals who believe in tolerance, acceptance, open... Yeah, 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 whatever, but we're black, all right? That's all that matters. We're black. I don't know, it's so cool. We're black. <laughs> Forget about all that other stuff. We're black and we, we're going to vote Democratic. Uh, so, it's been fun. It's just been fun really digging in there and uh, getting to know, and I realize how, how little I do know. And that's how important it is to at least uh, try to find out. So today's lesson is actually pretty rough, pretty tough, because uh, it's probably one of the hardest ones that I've thought about, just putting thinking behind, because it's so sensitive on the one hand, and yet at the same time I think it's just really, it's the elephant in the room, and it's something that we need to talk about. Or at the very least, try to, just an attempt to talk about it. And I think one of the reasons why people know it is because it is so sensitive. It is hard. It is, it is very touchy as we try to strive to be together. You know, uh, there was a time in our history, uh, in American history, where we try to be colorblind. And we thought that that was the way to go. And we realized that, well, that's not really the way to go because the fact of the matter is that God did create us all different. And we need to really understand that. Unless we understand that, then everything is the same, which is not good for any of us either as well. So, and it's not just African-American history that we want to study. We want to study out all history as well. Okay, so I went back to my roots a little bit. And, uh, I, well, not my roots. I'm not a white person, but uh, I, I studied out. I got this book. It's a great book by Nell Painter. She's a historian from, uh, from Princeton. And, uh, you know, she wrote a book about white people. So, you know, with the history of the word Caucasian and, and all this stuff. And just to see Okay, and just begin awareness of race and ethnicity all together, and to really, in the hopes of appreciating our midst. Amen. I looked at fresh off the boat and my my kind of people there, and I, I gotta confess that blackish is ten times better than fresh off the boat. It's just, it's like, come on, do better, Asian folks. But it's horrible. I think it's gonna get canceled. 
pretty soon. So I moved on to, from that, and I wanted to find a little bit about myself. So I studied, I, I looked at this. So Dr. Ken, so I, I was, to my disappointment, it wasn't about me, it was about this guy. But again, these are stereotypes, right? They give you a glimpse of these different society, but they really don't scratch beyond the surface. And that takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of time, and that's one of the reasons why it is so hard to talk about. It is so hard to talk about. You know, we uh, started this year by deeming our, our, our year 2016 as the year of Jesus, that everything we do, we're going to point it back to Jesus in the humanity and the deity of Jesus. And I really appreciate the Shaws really giving us a great communion, really just their whole life's, really, their whole life's experience, all these years that they've lived, whether, you know, when they're grown up or as a disciple, as a Christian, they've summed it up, you know, that, hey, look, Jesus is the one. Jesus is enough in the communion. That we're never going to be enough. We're not going to make it. We're not going to be able to be the perfect person. That we have to come to that conclusion that Jesus is perfect. And I think it's a great theme for us because we're going to fall in love with who Jesus is. We're going to imitate who Jesus is. And we're going to find the answers in Jesus and how to deal with these issues that the world struggles with all the time. You know, uh, about 1833, a French arist, uh, uh, aristocrat went to America and his main purpose was really to observe American culture. And when he looked at American culture, he says, listen, you know, this race issue between the black and white dichotomy, he's, he made a prophecy. He says, you will always have that. It will never change. In 1960s, there were commissions on race relations and stuff like that. And what is the conclusion? Same thing. It will never change. That in some ways, it's more prevalent in 1960s in America than in the times of uh, the Civil War even. I mean, I don't know how they came up with that. And in subsequent studies in 1993, the last major study on race relation, it was the same conclusion. And how do I feel about that? And how, well, no way. I mean, we look around us today, and that's certainly not the representation of these findings, right? But when we look at the facts on Sunday morning, and I appreciate, uh, you know, Hanley a couple weeks ago, he came up and he did the welcome. He says, you know, Sunday is the most racist seventh day of the year, uh, of, the, of, the, of the week. And in some essence, it's true. It's true. I think even the church has lagged behind what politically is going on. It's been pretty amazing uh, being and uh, witnessing that in the last seven years to be uh, in a country where we elected our first African-American president. And I admire Obama because of being the first in anything. I mean, the things that he goes through, the first African-American I mean, he's probably the most disrespected president in our history as well because he is the first and because he's breaking so many grounds. This year, we might be going through another transition as having the first woman president in the history of America. And even that, we are really behind as well because there are several countries that are way ahead of us, uh, i.e. in Germany. You have uh, you know, Angela Merkel and you got so many other uh, women uh, president. In Taiwan, they just... Uh, had a new president that is a woman uh, president. So we're a little bit behind. 
even politically, but for sure in the churches, we are totally behind. Because if you go to any church in America, chances are it is segregated by race. So despite all the lip service we give about following Jesus, despite all the lip service we give about, you know, what Jesus taught, if you go to church on Sunday, if I was not a Christian, or if I was just someone looking in and observing, like, you know, uh, the French Arist- uh, the, the, the what he did, I would say that, ah, it's a bunch of baloney. It's not true. Especially if I was to go to all the churches on Sunday, that the message of Jesus is not really being followed. So today, I thought about it. I thought about, you know, uh, you know, how deep should we get into this? You know, should we keep it at Black History Month at a superficial level? You know, throw out some, some you know, some historical African-Americans, you know, some great things that they've done and, and go on from there? Or can we talk a little bit deeper today? Can we talk a little bit deeper about what the elephants in the room is? That we struggle with this, and we'll always struggle with this, but are we willing to look at it? I guess that is the issue. Okay. And, um, you know, I love, I love this election season, to be honest with you, because it's a struggle of people trying to figure out how to govern this great nation of ours. And that in itself is a science, and that in itself is pretty fascinating, okay? But to look at this, where no one else and very few people have dared to even look at, um, I think it's going to be really good for us uh, as a church. You know, Jesus talked about two things that, that he summed up. If, when people pressed him, he says, you know, what is the most important commandments in the Bible? And he summed it up. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, and with all your strength. That is our own personal relationship with God. That is beyond the scope of the church, you know, beyond the scope of the ministry, people, or whatever group you're in. I mean, these things we have to wrestle ourselves, you know, our relationship with God. The church can certainly help us and our people in our lives, but the onus of that responsibility comes from us. So we start there because it will help us to look at the world and go, you know what, I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. There are a lot of stuff that are unfair. There are historical stuff that just makes you burn and get angry about. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, though, this is the scripture that God holds us accountable to. That we need to put God first. That we need to love God. And the second thing is what? The second is, is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. To love our neighbor as ourselves. That is a mouthful because when you look at it initially, you go, oh, that's kind of easy. You know, I like the 49ers, so let me give this guy, you know, my 49ers t-shirt. Well, he's a Seahawk fan. I mean, it's different, you know, or if I like this thing here, I impose my like on this different person. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about really taking the time to consider the need of your neighbor. The specific, unique needs of our neighbor. And it takes work in order to do that. It's funny what Karen talked about, you know, in terms of being good enough and the grace that comes from in our relationship with our marriage. You know, Nina and I have been married. We're going on our 24th anniversary. And I think that Lena is settling that, you know, he's a good enough husband. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, 
<laughs> it's good enough, you know. I think that that's, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, this is a little something personal in our lives. This is, that's, when we first got married, Lena thought I was all that. But after 24 years, I'm not all that. As a matter of fact, whatever it is, it's falling apart. You know, so whatever that is, it's falling apart. The longer we get to know somebody, the more we realize that, man, this guy needs a lot of grace. And especially from me and from each other. It takes time to get to know someone, to figure it out. Now, that's what I want to talk about today. You know, as we were thinking about this lesson, and I guess that was my conclusion. Are we going to, like, outline these four-point plans on how to solve the racial problem in America? No. It's so complex. Are we going to be, you know, like, you know, the model and the paradigm of, I think we can be an example, but no, not really. But what I do want us to really think about today is to open up our minds to learn who our neighbor is. I look around this room and I go, wow, what a great group we have. We are very diverse. We had a visitor here last month as she was traveling. And this woman travels different churches because of the nature of her work. And she looked at our group and she worshiped with us and she said something I was really proud of. You know, she said that we are the, one of the most, if not the most diverse group she has ever seen. Yeah, I, I, I can clap for that. I mean, that's, that's from God. That is from God. That is from God. There are a couple of books I'm reading, actually. It's pretty interesting. One is called Divided by Faith. And he followed it up with another book called United by Faith, right? Which is kind of good. Okay. But I realized that, you know what? I mean, what we have here today, it is from God. It is a faith that we commonly share together. But here's my question. If we take that away, if we take that commonality of our faith, which is good, it's a good thing, will we still be together? Will we still want to? And I think that's what we want to get at today. Okay, and that's the heart of the scripture is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the first thing, I, I, it's a very narrow scope. I'm not very ambitious today. And my main point is just to, to really get us to think and to have three things, to acknowledge some of the things that is going on, to consider some of the things that is going on, and to learn more about each other. Okay? Let's take a look. There was a study by this guy. His name is Mark Demas. And uh, he is a church growth um, expert. And I'm going to ask you a question, and this might surprise you, okay? Of all the churches that are the fastest growing churches in America, okay? We live in a 20, uh, 2016, right? So of all the fastest growing churches in America, how many of you guys think that those churches are are a mix of a mixed church. How many, how many of you guys think that? Or do you think that those, the fastest churches in America are homogenous churches? Okay. How many of you guys think it's homogenous churches? The fastest growing church in America. I think you guys got it right. The fastest growing church in America in his studies are not the churches that are multiracial, multi-ethnic you know, ethnic classes and different people. The fastest growing churches are the people, the churches that have people that are homogenous, meaning that they are all pretty much the same. Those are the fastest growing churches in America. And it gives us a glimpse of why that is the case. Okay? 
And uh, he goes on and he, he talks about, you know, he says, these revelations should come as no surprise to anyone familiar with churches throughout North America. Rice University, uh, University sociologist Michael Emerson cites recent uh, research that 92.5% of churches in the United States are racially segregated. In fact, his study indicates that the churches today are 10 times more segregated than the neighborhoods in which they sit and 20 times more segregated than the nearby public schools. And while the country is becoming even more diverse, the church remains consistently segregated. Okay? Well, how do they measure that? Well, how do you measure that 92%, 92.5% of church are, are you know, segregated? They measure that by, I think it's like a 25%. If there is a 25% uh, population of people that are not part of the dominant uh, demographic in the church. So 92.5% of the church, churches in America do not have even 25% of a different racial group. They're pretty homogenized in, in that. So what is he saying? He's saying that all these different things are really running ahead of us, but at the core, at the very core of church life, it still remains the same. Everything is running ahead. Politically, schools, neighborhoods, even as segregated as neighborhoods are, he says that the churches in the United States are even more segregated. Okay? All right. He says, according to its uh, progenitor, uh, Donald McGavern, McGavran, this principle recognizes that people like to become Christians without crossing racial, linguistic, or class barriers. For, and, but for decades, this principle has been promoted as something more the modus operandi for those who would plant, grow, or develop a successful church, typically measured by numbers, dollars, and buildings. But the, is the principle biblical? Okay. Is the principle biblical? So why am I bringing all this stuff out today? I'm just saying that, hey, look, that's what we look at in church world today. It is the last bastion, ironically, of integration, of what exactly Jesus talks about. He says that, look, people want to, quote, unquote, become Christians, but they don't want to do the hard work of what the Bible talks about. They don't want to do the hard work of what Jesus talks about, to love your neighbor as yourself. They've done studies where people are more willing to go overseas and reach out to somebody of a different ethnicity but they won't even allow that same person to come and worship with them in their home church in America. I think it's important for us to think about these things because I think that we take it for granted because we are such a diverse group here. But I want to ask us a question here, though. As we become this church that scripturally challenges us to become, biblically challenges us to become, we look at our group, even within our small group, family group, does it represent in a microcosm what this is talking about? Even though together we are different, but in our daily lives, do we reach out and do we make an effort to really get to know one another better in a deeper way? And I'm not saying this to put us down. I'm saying this to really go deeper. I'm saying this to really think about this, because the point of Black History Month is not just to, you know, okay, you know, let's, we got also got the Super Bowl, we got, you know, Valentine's. Let's make the most out of it. 
Let's take the time to really think about it. Let's honor these people that really fought for what we are today and the things that they've learned. Let's really put our heart into it as well. Christianity Today is the kind of like the, the Time Magazine, right, of, Christian, of Christianity in America, Christianity Today. And they did a study on this, and I just took a snapshot out of this book I was reading. It says, Christianity Today, within a four-year span, 1998, uh, 1994 to 1998, and it, it, gave, it gave four categories. It says, uh, these different things that the book, uh, the, the, all the magazines within those, time, uh, those four years mentioned, says, get to know people, you know, these topics, Get to know people of another race. It was mentioned uh, only 20 times. Uh, work against discrimination in jobs and courts, two times. Four years of this magazine. I think they come out with 11 issues, or I don't know, I don't know. I mean, uh, the third one is racially integrated congregation. Eight times, it mentions it eight times. Christianity Today. And the last one is racially integrated neighborhoods. Talked about it two times. So even the magazine that purportedly is about Christianity in America or Christianity today stays away from some of these issues because it is so touchy. It is so politically incorrect and people don't want to stir up the pot, if you will. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, is that really even Christianity? Where everything else is becoming more integrated, everything else, even the world today understands the need to be integrated, and the Christian world is, is uh, segregated to this day. To this day. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? We have a great opportunity. We really do. We have a great opportunity as we move into this next generation here. As, as things are changing all around us, we have an opportunity to really go back and be the church of the Bible. And we see that scripturally too, and we don't have time to, to go over it. But the church began in the book of Acts, right? And the church was, had its stronghold in Jerusalem. And as the church became more and more and more and more spread out into the great church of Antioch, there were Jews, Jewish Christians from Jerusalem trying to go to Antioch to try to get our brothers and sisters in the church in Antioch to become not more Christians, but to become more what? to become more Jews. And Paul had to go, listen, that is not who we are. Our goal is not to become more of this race or to become more of that race, to become more of what God calls us to be. That is Christian from what God's perspective is. So we can't go from one extreme to another. Okay? And we're not the only one. They've dealt with this since the beginning of the, of the church history that we share with our brothers and sisters there. So we have a great opportunity today as we look at society, and I think that to be in step with even what the world is going through, I think we have a great opportunity to reach out to our neighbors, to reach out to our people, to have this knowledge and to have this conviction what God's church should be, what God intended his church to be. You know, I... Even the world is really talking about, right? Elizabeth got interviewed. And, you know, she's not a UCLA student, but she was at UCLA for the devotional. And they just said, you're a UCLA student. And this was uh, the interview for the Kanye West uh, thing with the sorority and all that stuff. And, you know, and she gave a little interview. I thought it was really cute. You know, so. This is uh, 
Carter Woodson. He was the one that started Black History Month. And initially it was only a Black History Week in 1926. And Woodson struggled you know, as a black child in Virginia, fighting, scrapping, just to get an education. And he grew up illiterate, and then he got a job, you know, learning how to read. He got a job reading for the other people that were not able to read in this store. And as he read more and more and more, he became proficient in reading, but he really had a skill for it. And he fought, you know, just like today, you know, they had to work jobs and stuff like that. He scrapped and, you know, worked odd jobs to get through his uh, elementary school, you know, the, the, uh, up to high school, and then got his degree at Harvard University. He became the second African-American to get a doctorate from Harvard University after W.E. Du Bois. And from that, he became a historian. And what he noticed was that, as a historian, that he was only reading about white history. That his people, as a people of color, that their history was not represented. So he strove to really get people to come back, to gather black historians together during the Harlem Renaissance in the 20s and began this movement of recording history so that it won't be lost uh, and, and to really make people know black history. And the thing about black history is, is so important because it would have been lost without these great people that says we need to do something about it. And his his, his intention was not to divide. His intention, his general belief was that if people knew each other more then racial prejudice and these different issues would fall just from the fact that people knew each other more. And hence the movement to propagate Black History Week, which became Black History Month, and it was officially recognized in 1976. So that's what we're celebrating today. And you can be cynical. You can go, man, Black History Month, why is it the shortest month of the year? I'm just kidding. You know, George Orwell in his book in 19, uh, 1984 says, he who controls the past controls the future. He who controls the present controls the past. His point is that it's really important to know who you are. It's really important to know and to record your people and where they come from to understand what you are even today. You know, the title of my lesson today is this short, don't worry. It's called Jesus 2016, Keeping the Dream Alive. And this is what I want to propose to you. The dream is not just Martin Luther King's dream. It's been a dream of God for a long, long time. It's been God's dream. He says, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creeds. That we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal. That sounds awfully familiar to me. That sounds a little bit like Genesis when God created us. It sounds a little bit like Genesis in the creation. It sounds a little bit like Genesis 12 when, Paul, when, when God gave Abraham the dream, the, the seven promises, that he says, listen, I'm going to be with you, Abraham. I'm going to use you and your, your nation to really bring about this incredible dream for all people. 
And God says to Abraham, says, God says, listen, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. And you will be a blessing to all people. So it's not just Martin Luther King's dream. But it's been God's dream since the beginning. Of time. Of creation itself. And that's what we just read. You know, it says, I will, all people on earth will be blessed through you. You know, I love the scripture a lot because just as what Karen talked about and Mark talked about how God blessed us. But it's not just a blessing. That's what religion is. Yeah, well, I, I, want, I want these blessings from God. But it's more than that. God says, listen, I will bless you, but there's a responsibility that comes with that blessing. There's a responsibility. And I think that's part of really getting to know our place in society, whether it's a racial thing or even within the church, that, hey, look, that we are here as a blessing to other people. What we do is recognized by people and people notice what we do. And Abraham says, and Abraham was charged by God to be that. And he began this trek. And he is the father of all these different people of whom we are included in that group as well. I have three points, three short points. What do we need to do? How do we need to look at Black History Month or any other racial group? I think the first thing we need to do is acknowledge. Acknowledge each other. Acknowledge that we have different backgrounds, that we have different struggles, that we have different paths to get us to this point where we meet today. It's so easy for us to go, well, that's history. You know, it's like, hey, can't you get over it? That's done. And I think when we do that, it is an insensitivity to each other. You know, the colorblind thing, it, it sounds good, but it fails to really see that we all came from a different path to where we are today. And there are different things that affects us and hurts us. And we have different dreams, we have different aspirations. And if we don't acknowledge those things, then we can't really know each other in a deep way. I think number one, acknowledge. Acknowledge our history. America is the greatest country in the world. I can say that from not being an American. Okay? I did not grow up, and English was not my first language. As a matter of fact, it was my third language. Okay? But I can say that today, that man, in my observation, you know, from that guy, even 130 years, 50 years ago, whatever, America is the greatest nation in the world. It is a marketplace of ideas. It is a place where people come to get educated and go back and start other stuff. It is incredible. But it doesn't negate also the fact that we need to acknowledge some things from our past that have hurt people as well. Amen? You know, job applicants with white names needed to be, uh, needed to send out ten resumes in order to get one callback. Those with African American names needed to send around 15 resumes to get one callback. This is a fact. This is not like, you know, some, this is a fact. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that there is inherently prejudice. There is inherently biases uh, in, different, in different realms of our society. Okay. They've actually done this study where you have the exact same resume. It's not just the name. It's the exact same resume. Exact same qualification. Same schooling. Same everything. Except for the name. And because of the name, that the African-American sounding names get so much less, I mean, like, like markedly less callbacks than one with 
uh, a Caucasian name or a regular name. Okay, so we need to acknowledge these things. Not, it's not history, guys. This is right now. This is right now. So we need to understand that the history does affect what's going on even today, and we need to acknowledge that. Amen? You know, perception is everything. Uh, this is, it's a bad picture of this guy and it's a study that was done, I think, in the University of Virginia, too, that they asked people to look at this incline of a hill and to estimate, to guesstimate what the degree is. And this is really fascinating, okay? That, you see the little backpack there? The backpack actually determines also the perception of the incline. That... If you give someone the study with no backpack, the tendency is to say the incline is, let's say, 12 degrees. But if you give him a backpack, right, that he has to wear, or even just put it right next to, to him or her, that the estimate of the, the incline is up more, like 15 or, or even 20% sometimes. Perception and things that we carry affects how we see things. It does have an effect on how we see things. And this is not just even racial or, or anything like that. There's another study that was done on girls who were taking the exact same test. And they did two things, a mathematical test. And there's a, there's a bias towards girls for not being as smart in math, right? So there's a study where these girls are taking the test and there's a, there's, they took off one question. And that question is, gender. And they found this pretty amazing stuff. They said that if they took out the, 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 the gender question at the top, girls do so much better than if the girls were to be asked to put down their gender on these math tests. So whether we like it or not, we have perceptions in our mind, whether it's good or bad or even self, um, uh, self-defeating perception as well. You know, the book of Proverbs says that each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share in its joy. The book of Wisdom acknowledges that we all have our own past and history that hurts us, that affects us, and uh, that's ours that needs to be brought out. In Job chapter 16, verse 2, when Job was going through a lot and these guys came up to him that were supposedly his friends, came up to him and tried to give him all this advice without really knowing what he was going through. And they had their presupposition and their, 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 their thinking. And they said all these things to him. And his conclusion was, I have heard many things like these. Miserable comforters are you all. That wasn't what he needed at the time. He needed some friends that were willing to just acknowledge and to listen to what he was going through. In Job 42, verse 7, and it wasn't just Job, but God felt the same way. In Job 42, verse 7, it says, After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Elipas, the Temanites, he says, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. You know, these guys were good intention, probably. They came up to Job and tried to give him all this advice and accuse him and all this stuff. 
And Job says, listen, you're miserable comforters. And then God himself says that you misrepresent who I am. You're, you're trying to shove this down to Job, and you don't even know who I am. And I love this story a lot because there were actually four people that were trying to convince Job. And who was the fourth guy? It was a younger guy, right? And it seems like he got a free pass. Okay, so you got a free pass. Teens and campus, maybe some of the singles there as well. But as we get older, I think God holds us accountable that we should know better. That we should know better. That we should really take the time to really figure some things out. Amen? We need to acknowledge certain things in the past. We can't just say that, well, that was done back then. I think we all have our hurts. Amen? Number two, I think we need to consider. It's different than acknowledge. Because acknowledge, consider is just pondering, I think, which is important. But acknowledge is at the beginning of what has already been done. It's obvious the history has been checkered in America. We've had some really brutal things. We need to acknowledge it. It doesn't mean that, you know, we're whatever. But it, we need to acknowledge it. But the second thing is we need to consider as well. Consider. You know, in Matthew 16, verse 13 and to 15, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others says Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. What about you? Who do you say I am? That's what I love about Jesus. It wasn't just Jesus was like this mass church, you know, this mega church blasting out the horns, you know, just on his television or whatever. He comes up to each person. He goes, what about you? What do you think of all this? What do you think? It matters to God. It matters to God what we think. It matters to God how we consider these things. And I always love this scripture because, you know, Jesus himself takes the time to go, what, do you, what about you? What, do you? what do you think, Ken? How do you feel about these things? And I have to examine my own prejudice and examine my own biases and examine my own ignorance as well. You know, I love Socrates. I love Socrates because I, I felt like there are so many things that he got right. He said that an unexamined life is not worth living, right? He said that as he was being uh, executed by self-execution. And what had happened was that he, Socrates was open to these different ideas and he was, instructing, he was instructing the youth and he was opening up their minds to these different things and the people that were in power didn't appreciate that and felt like he was poisoning the youth of, of that time. And he said, well, we're going to either execute you or you kill yourself. So as he was taking, you know, this, this uh, poison, uh, you know, there's this famous picture of him gathered around by different people and he didn't say it back then at that time, but he's credited with saying an unexamined life is not worth it. He says, listen, you've got to examine yourself. And what Socrates says was pretty amazing. He says that, listen, I strove to find out what knowledge is. And I keep talking to these different people who were supposedly really knowledgeable. And I found out that they really didn't know anything at all. And I realized that really the true knowledge is to really understand that you really don't know anything at all. That you have to search and you have to examine that you have to acknowledge and you have to consider that you might not know uh, it yourself. Isn't that pretty cool? In Mark 7, in verse 21, verse 23, for from within, out of men's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, 
lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. I think one of the reasons why we are so segregated in the religious world is because we're not willing to really look at what's inside. I appreciate what Martin Luther King said, and I've been studying out some of his sermons, and he said at this one time, he was saying that, hey, look, you know, I said, I say this to the black churches, but he says, but in essence, I shouldn't even have to say this because biblically speaking, there is no black or white churches. And he goes on to say, he says that this is one of the evils of the institutional religion of its time, to separate the white churches and the black churches. So that was written in about in the 60s. But I want to ask this question today, but what about after that? There is no more institutionalized in terms of governmental institution to separate blacks and whites, but what about it today? How come it's still the same? How come it's still the same? It has nothing to do with that in some ways, but that it's, we're still in dealing with the human hearts the willingness to change, the willingness to examine, the willingness to look at ourselves as well, the willingness to become Christians as Jesus calls us to become. Ephesians 5 verse 3 says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual morality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The Bible deals with the hearts. You see, I mean, it does deal with sexual morality, and the Bible says that it's improper. I love that word. It's not, you know, it's improper. It's not, um, it's not right. It's, it's, it shouldn't be here. And it's not just talking about immorality, but it's talking about other things, things of the heart, greed, prejudice. It's improper for God's holy people. But if we're not willing to acknowledge it or consider it, then we're not even in the game. Speaking of today's vernacular. And I told the song leaders that uh, they need to come up because it's a two-minute warning. i got to wind down here. Two-minute warning. Amen? But rather, thanksgiving. Okay, God deals with our hearts. God deals with what's going on in our own hearts. Amen? In verse 5, it says, For this you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Forget about the world. We're talking about our church right now. If we are truly God's church. We have to heed the words of God. There is a purity that God calls us to. There is a purity that God absolutely expects us to follow. And the Bible says in church discipline, Paul is giving instructions to the church in Ephesus, says, have nothing, do not be partners with these guys or gals. That there is a standard for what the church really needs to be. And there is a purity that God wants us to have. And it's not easy. That's why people don't deal with it. That's why Christianity today won't even talk about it. And I'm not even talking about racial stuff. I'm talking about the human hearts. So today we could have gone superficial, thrown a nice a few Latin, you know, platitudes about you know, black American history, or we could talk about the heart today and acknowledge some of these things in our church. 
lastly, as we close on out, you know, as we're going to read the scripture, we have one more point. It says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We have a responsibility, amen? I want to close out here. And, uh, you know, this is a great... Uh, it's a follow-up on that picture we saw earlier on how that single guy was by himself and he saw the hill and how steep it was. They've also done another study where they found that uh, they asked the same question, how steep the hill is, and they put some friends around this person. And they found out that when there are friends around this person, the incline goes down a little bit. Isn't that cool? That when we're together, there's something that works in our mind. Hey, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. We can overcome this together. The last point is just learn. We're not here to propose that we're going to solve all the world's problems. We're not here to say that we're going to know everything about each other. But we're here to say we're going to learn. We're going to open up our, ourselves to learning. I want to encourage you during Black History Month to go back and learn about the history of the slave trade. It's, it's heartbreaking. And it'll help us to temper some of the ideas that perhaps that we have. It's going to help us to really live together, I think, a lot better as well. Paul says this. He says, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. That is a challenge in Scripture. All things to all men. It's not even just talking about learning, but, but let's start there. All things to all men. You know, I love this diagram. I told you, right? I love the Venn diagram. So much truth is found in the Venn diagram. We are all individuals. And there's a part of us that God gives us and is uniquely us. And don't change that. That's awesome. It's great. But there is a part of us that God says, listen, I need you to overlap here a little bit and go out of your comfort zone. Go out of your comfort zone and try to figure out how to live together. Let me close out. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. Yes, we can. Yes, we can in a bad way. We can go back to our room and forget about all this stuff, get a good job, live out our lives. But that's not what God has in plan for us. He says, I do all this for the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I think God has blessed us in an incredible way. I look at the round of this group today. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that we're in this church. Amen? I'm glad that we have this opportunity. I'm glad that we have each other to learn from each other, to teach each other as well. But let's take it higher. Let's show the world. Let's show the world that we are God's church. Amen. Thank you. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.